Welcome to Winning Is Not Everything, where we bring sanity back to youth sports by focusing on character development, effort, and sportsmanship, not rankings and trophies. I'm your host, Sean Jensen, former NFL reporter, children's book author, and youth sports coach. So many strive to be the first to do something, yet so few actually do, which means most have no idea the price that must be paid. Can you imagine what challenges and sacrifices were required to become the first female CEO of an NFL franchise? Keep on listening to hear all about it as we dive into part two of our conversation with the one and only Amy Trask. TeamSnap is the presenting sponsor of the Winning Is Not Everything podcast. As you start thinking about your spring sports season, the TeamSnap app can help you spend more time focusing on coaching and less time worrying about the team management side of things. Even in this preseason time, coaches can use the app to start building relationships with players and parents through the messaging features. Plus, once your spring schedule's ready, put it on the app for parents to easily sync to their calendars. Download the TeamSnap app in your mobile app store or visit teamsnap.com slash winning for more information. Although I covered the NFL for 15 plus seasons, I never had the pleasure to interview or interact with our guest, Amy Trask, the longtime CEO of the Raiders. In any industry, rumors get circulated and perceptions are passed around. But one of the things that helped me stand out as a reporter was not listening to any of that. I always believed in giving each person I dealt with a clean slate with me. But when it comes to Amy, there are certain facts that are indisputable. She navigated many challenges to become the NFL's first female CEO and to remain in that role for 16 years. And do you recall her nickname from episode one? The Princess of Darkness. Yet through the magic of social media, we connected via Twitter and Amy quickly became one of my favorites because of her intelligence and her sense of humor. In part two, Amy Trash shares with me what it was like working with Raiders owner Al Davis, a lesson young people can learn from him, what she's trying to accomplish on Twitter and her priceless advice to all of us who look up to her. Stick around. Well, and then, of course, he did have a certain reputation, but he also was somebody who hired Art Shell, right? Who hired you and appointed you to be, you know, a CEO. So, I mean, uh, he definitely was a trailblazer in many ways. May I offer something? I, I apologize for interrupting, but you said something which just triggered a thought that I'd like to share. Mm -hmm. um, you're absolutely right. He did have a reputation and it was a reputation not everyone cared for. But whether mm -hmm. you love the Raiders or hate the Raiders, whether you loved Al Davis or couldn't stand Al Davis, if we're being intellectually honest, we have mm -hmm. to note that which you just said. Yeah. He hired Tom Flores. He hired Art Shell. He hired me. He yeah. hired without regard to race or gender or any individuality, which has no bearing on whether one can do a job. So you're absolutely right. Yeah. He had a reputation and not everyone liked him. But he did decades ago what we're still trying to get people to do today. That's awesome, Amy. And I know how much admiration you have for him. What's a lesson that you feel like young people could learn from the great insight that you got into the man, you know, Al Davis? What's something that young people could really learn from him? That's a great question. Well, the biggest misconception about mm -hmm. Al 
Mm-hmm. is that he wouldn't tolerate disagreement. He wouldn't tolerate those who disagreed with him. If that were the case, I would have been fired a couple weeks into my job, <laughs> two or two and a half weeks into my job. Um, I won't belabor the, the story, but I was in a, an office with a coworker. He said something. I told him he was wrong. And, and again, I've only been with the organization about two, two and a half weeks at this point. And we had a very, very heated, spirited debate. Some people would call it an argument. And after it went on for a period of time, he looked at me and said, oh, I gotcha. I got it. And we went right on. And wow. I learned at that moment that the rumor, the story, the urban legend, whatever you want to call it, that he wouldn't tolerate disagreement was wrong. He mm-hmm. did tolerate disagreement. But what I learned, and this is the lesson I would pass on, mm-hmm. when you want to disagree with someone, don't disagree just to be disagreeable. Come armed with facts and data mm-hmm. and information mm-hmm. and present your argument as strongly and effectively as you can. And yeah. then recognize when you're not the business owner, the ultimate decision isn't up to you. It's your responsibility to disagree when you think the person who owns or runs the business is wrong. And you mm. should make that argument as effectively as you can. But at the end of the day, if a decision is one you don't like, it's still your responsibility to try to do your best job. Yeah. Well, I grew up in the military and certainly chain of command is something that's heavily influenced my life. And so I definitely can see the merits of that you know, relative to what you're talking about in terms of leadership. One of the things that I'm fascinated by, at what point, because you talk about that insecurity when you were younger, again, like when you look at what you did to pursue these opportunities, and I, and I know you were working at a law firm and, and he must have interacted with you, but at what point did you get that self-confidence to be able to walk into that setting, you know, into this male-dominated profession where there are very, very few women in? And then be able to be that strong-willed person that wasn't going to be bullied and and pushed around. Well, first of all, and for the record, and Mm -hmm. to be very, very clear, I still have insecurities. I still struggle with with that. I'll just say it clearly again. Mm -hmm. I still have insecurities. But that which you just noted is not something about which I was ever insecure. In other Mm. words, my insecurities were not about walking into a room and presenting information about participating in a business discussion, about working in that environment. Those weren't my insecurities. My biggest insecurity is that which I'm doing now, which is appearing on television on CBS (laughs) Sports and CBS Sports Network. That scares me. Look, I went to my first NFL owners meeting. I was the only woman in the room. I didn't Mm -hmm. care. I did my job. People ask me all the time, were you tested because you were a woman? The answer is, I don't know, but it's fair to assume I was. People are tested all the time. We're tested because of our race, our gender, our age, our educational background. Well, my focus was where I think it should be on passing the test. Now, when when I joined CBS Sports and I had to go on TV, I was a wreck. That's my (laughs) insecurity. Got it. Amy, you had an incredible career with the Raiders. Tell me about some of the things that you've done after, because it's been so remarkable to see you be an analyst, and then you're involved in, you know, the basketball operation, and you're you're just so visible out there, and you've won so many different awards. Tell me a little bit about what into the transition, leaving the NFL and, and venturing into these other spaces. 
it was the hardest decision I've made in my life. And I recognize mm. when I say that, that that speaks to, you know, the tremendous good fortune I've had throughout my life. If mm. I can say that deciding to lead the Raiders was the hardest decision I had to make, I get it. That means mm-hmm. I've been tremendously, tremendously fortunate. I still am tremendously fortunate, but it was the hardest decision I've ever had to make. Mm-hmm. And I was self-aware enough to know, um, and I said to my husband as I was struggling with the decision as to whether to stay or leave, until I decide whether to stay or whether to leave, I'm not going to be able to think about what's next. And he said, you know, fine, you've been doing this for almost 30 years. You take your time. So the day after I gave notice, I woke up and I looked at my husband and I said, I'm a blight on humanity. I have nothing to do. (laughs) And he laughed and he said, enjoy it for a minute. (laughs) So I I left without having a plan. And you know what? I like not having a plan. I joined CBS Sports. I was scared to death. I said I wasn't Mm going to do it. Could not be more thrilled that I did it. I swore Mm -hmm. I'm not joining CBS. I'm not going on camera. I'm not doing that. Got my nerve, did it thrilled I did. Magnificent, magnificent teammates at CBS Sports who helped me um, with my insecurity. They hold my hand literally and figuratively. My first year on the show on, it's called Tops, that other pregame show. Mm -hmm. Um, The linebacker, Bart Scott, actually held my hand, not figuratively. (laughs) He literally held my hand under the table during the show. And I've grown to love it. And I have never had a plan. I don't have a plan. We'll see what's next. Last two questions for you. We connected, again, not in the NFL when I covered it and you were with the league, but really just via Twitter. And I just love how smart you are. You know, you do a great job of disarming all the crazies who say all kinds of crazy things to you online. You know, the bit that you have where you're advocating for pets who do naughty things. I mean, again, just you're such a great personality on there. Tell me about your philosophy on Twitter, because, you know, Twitter's kind of just going through mayhem right now. But you have definitely utilized Twitter to your great benefit. Well, a couple things. Number one, when I joined CBS Sports, a magnificent woman in the PR department said, you know, would you like to go on Twitter? And I, of course, <laughs> said, no, never, not doing it. No, no, not doing it, never. And she said, okay. And here I am on Twitter. And despite the mayhem that you're talking about that you're referencing aside for the moment, what I have enjoyed about it is I advocate for civil discourse. Mm-hmm. I really and truly believe and I am passionate about the fact that we can all disagree with one another, but we need to learn how to do it agreeably. We can exchange differing views in a reasoned and reasonable manner. And when we disagree, we can do so agreeably. And I will tell you that in my years on Twitter, I could count on not that many fingers. How many times someone has disagreed with me in what I will call a mean manner or a nasty manner. And when I have seen those, I've written back, you know what? Fair enough. You don't agree with me. That's fine. We don't have to agree, but you don't have to be mean. And I I get it. I sound like an eight-year-old when I'm saying, "Don't, don't be mean. And all but one or two times, the person has written back and said, you know what? Lesson learned. You're right. I can disagree with you, but I didn't have to be nasty. And that's Mm. something we should, at this time in the universe, we have got to learn as a collective human race, if you will, or human species, I should say. Mm -hmm. Humans Mm -hmm. all over the world have got to learn to exchange thoughts 
nicely, even when disagreeing. So I do I enjoy that. sharing that view. And of course, I represent dogs and cats and all animals. <laughs> I love it. Last question for you. For all the little kids who would look up to an Amy Trask, somebody who was a trailblazer in sports, what would you tell them? The best advice I've ever received in my whole life was mm -hmm. from my mom. She told me this when I was a little girl, and she told it to me over and over and over again as I grew up and even when I was grown up. And, you know, as little girls can do, sometimes I rolled my eyes when she said it, but it was the best advice I ever received. To thine own self be true. I didn't wow. um, learn until I was in college that she was quoting Shakespeare. So that's right. a little admission for you. It was uh, late to learn that that was Shakespearean wisdom. But the, the only regrets I have, look, I've made my share of mistakes. The mistakes I regret are when I wasn't true to myself. Mm. So I would say to thine own self be true. That is incredible wisdom and insight. Amy, I had so much fun talking to you. I, I really built this up in my own head, and I'm just so grateful that you took the time. So thank you very much. No, thank you. This was absolutely positively my pleasure. It was an honor to join you, a pleasure to have this conversation, a whole lot of fun. I appreciate you inviting me to do so. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Winning Is Not Everything. Please make sure to like the podcast and subscribe to the podcast so you can immediately get the latest episode. Also, I've launched a new newsletter, The Youth Sports Sanctuary, which aims to provide a safe space to ask questions and engage in discussions on the important challenges and issues in youth sports. Before I close, though, my presenting sponsor, TeamSnap, and I are thrilled to present our Coach of the Month. We want to shine the spotlight on coaches and youth sports who are making a positive impact on young student-athletes, and we want to recognize Dante Prevet, who leads the planning and execution of coach education initiatives for the Philadelphia Youth Sports Collaborative. Among many other roles, Dante is the creator of NFL Flag Philly, and he's in his 15th year of coaching tackle and flag football, rugby, lacrosse, and basketball. Congratulations, Dante. Last but not least, I want to thank my presenting sponsor, TeamSnap, the go-to app to help you have a successful spring sports season. Until next time, I'm Sean Jensen.